You're listening to Builder Funnel Radio. This is the Building a Family Business Show with Wes and Brooks Powell. Let's dive in. The Powell family construction business has been around for over 110 years. Over that time, it's evolved and been through four generations of the Powell family. What started as a new construction business building spec homes in the Seattle area evolved to building communities, remodeling, building custom homes, and then getting involved with property management. Today, the business currently owns and operates two retirement and assisted living facilities, several apartment buildings, and does third-party property management in the Seattle area with about 750 total doors under management. Over the last several decades, Wes and Brooks have seen it all when it comes to business evolution, family dynamics in the construction industry. This is the show where I work to extract their knowledge and experiences to help you navigate family dynamics, among other things, in your construction business. Let's dive into the show. Happy clients, more profits, less stress. That's the trifecta of the construction business. We all want that, right? Well, after working and talking with hundreds of builders and remodelers over the past two years, BuildBook has discovered the one common ingredient that determines the success of your construction business, the client experience. Yes, if you drop the ball anywhere in the client experience from the first impression to the final payment, things get super messy super quickly. BuildBook has spent the past several months developing the first-of-its-kind platform that focuses on helping you deliver throughout the client journey the one thing standing between you and achieving the trifecta of construction. It starts with marketing tools to attract the right leads, add in sales tools so you can win the best projects, and finish with project tools that knock your client's socks off. If you're looking for an unfair advantage in your business, this is it. Head on over to buildbook.co now to try it free for yourself. That's buildbook.co. All right, let's get back to the show. Hey, and welcome back to Builder Funnel Radio. This is Building a Family Business. And as always, joined by my uncle Brooks and dad Wes. Welcome, guys. Hey, welcome. thanks, Wes. Today, we kind of wanted to just dive right in uh, instead of uh, kind of pulling some of the news reel. I'm sure you guys are getting enough of that uh, as we approach, I guess we're recording this, approaching the election cycle. So we're going to take this one in another path. Brooks, you were kind of diving into an article on kind of the foundational pieces of a building, I guess, business or family business, not really specific to building, but you want to kind of give a little context there? So I follow the family business consulting group and they've been around for a little over 25 years. So I've been following them since they started, you know, being that we're in a family business and they have great articles and great webinars and um, you have a lot of great content. And it's the kind of thing if, you know, I think they do a great job. And if it's your business of a size, you can afford to uh, work with them. I think they're a great, a great company. But they have an article in their newsletter, the Family Business Advisor, called The Five Fundamental Building Blocks of a Strong Family Business. And it's just, you know, you just get back to the, the basics of how you have, you know, or what you have to do to build a family business, you know, beyond whatever business you're in, you know, so this can go, you know, you can be in construction, you can be in remodeling, you can get whatever space you're in. If you're trying to build a family business, you know, the five fundamental building blocks are just key. So I just thought it was a good, it's a good reminder because wherever you are in your business development with your family, you know, you can go back to this and go, Oh yeah, we missed that. We should be doing that. 
Yeah, so. I feel like a lot of times when you you bring up fundamentals, people are like, oh, I may be past the fundamentals, but you think about athletes and you know people in sports environment, like they're always working on the fundamentals and they all have coaches. And, you know, so yeah, I think this is a good topic to dive into. And, you know, Wes, the first, I think one of these fundamentals was having aligned owners. Let's kind of open up that topic for you guys. What do you think you guys have seen, you know, that either has worked really well or hasn't worked when you've either had, you know, had owner alignment and, and have not had owner alignment? Well, I think let's maybe just take a step back and what is what is owner alignment? What do they mean by that in this article? And and I mean it's fairly self-explanatory. It's just that everyone in the family that has some ownership stake in that business or who will have an ownership stake, let's say, but maybe doesn't have it yet, they have to be aligned around goals. You know, what's our purpose? You know, do we all agree on our purpose? Why are we in business together? You know, what are we trying to accomplish? Because that could be that could vary pretty widely, not just from generation to generation, but within a generation. So if there's like in our family, we have five five siblings, right? So all of us could have a very different opinion as to what our purpose purpose is. So I'd like maybe, to just point out that my yeah. opinions are right. I mean, I just like well, to sure. <laughs> put that out there. Yeah. So anyway, this podcast <laughs> is over. <laughs> here, let me let me hit the the clapper just, here. Yeah, we'll, okay. we'll edit that out. <laughs> Thanks, record on this one. <laughs> yeah. So again, you have to be aligned for purpose, and then you know. So why are we in business together? And then what are our goals? What are we trying to accomplish? So you know, let's just take an example. Someone might be saying, "Hey, man, I want to build a lot of apartments," or someone else. Like in our family, we have you know senior housing, and we have some apartments, and you know. So, but what's which direction are we going? You know, which, which is most important? Do we all agree on that? Are we trying to get to a certain number of units? Are we trying to serve a particular population, you know, a market segment? So I think that's pretty important. And in the article, they also to talk about, and we've talked about this in the past, it's core values. So thinking about what your core values are, are we in agreement on our core values? And there's a number of other things, but I think when you don't have alignment around those issues, what happens is, you know, there's only 24 hours in a day. And out of that 24 hours, you're going to hopefully spend eight hours sleeping, unless you don't sleep well at night, <laughs> which we we're just discussing before the podcast. But certainly the hours that you spend at work, if you burn up 30% of your time at work with what I call frictional items, which would be things that are really, you're just talking to your other family members or other people, owners in the business about, you know, you're just having this conflict over what you're doing because you are not in alignment and you may not even be aware you're not in alignment around some of these key items because maybe you've never discussed them. You know, maybe you've just assumed that you're all in alignment, that you all think the same way. And so you can burn a lot of time on that, which is just time not spent on the business which just means your business doesn't do as well. It's a good point because, you know, Wes, the, along with the, you know, the goals, the purpose, you know, the purpose, the goals, the, the core values, code of con, and they had the code of conduct in there. They had accountability and metrics, which are always, you know, two important things. And, you know, to go back to your, this question of alignment is, is that if you don't discuss alignment, you're most likely not aligned. Right. And I mean, I, in, uh, our business with, you know, partners with my brother, Todd and his wife, we, we had a steering meeting every week. That's how intensely we had to, you know, to stay aligned, you know, because 
the construction business is challenging, you know, a lot of stuff. And so we would have, you know, weekly steering meetings, monthly steering meetings, quarterly, and it was making sure we were all headed the same direction because things change, you know, as people get, you know, as we got older, it was like, well, what do we want to be doing with the business and things like that? So I, I, that question of alignment is, you know, that's the first thing they talk about in this article is aligned owners. I like that point about meeting frequently because, you know, you guys, and so you and uh, Todd, you know, same, same age bracket, right? But if you go right. generationally, if you go, you, so you've got an older generation involved in the business and you've got a younger generation. That's, I think, where you really start to see these big splits oh, happen. Yeah. And they happen, but they don't necessarily happen right at the beginning. So yeah. let's say founder of the company is in their 40s, right? So still hitting it really hard. And then they bring in a couple of kids, a kid or two or three, or however many will come into the business. And they come in in their early Bring 20s. them all. Yeah. Bring right. them all. Yeah. Bring them on. <laughs> so now we've got these two generations. Well, the difference between 22 and 23 and 43 or 45 is probably not that much in terms of what you're trying to accomplish. Everyone's still probably trying to make it. You know, you haven't built up enough assets or whatever it happens to be. So you're, you're kind of in natural alignment there and the new generation coming in doesn't know anything, right? So they're busy learning and they're, you know, sucking up all this information from the founder. But you go forward, say, 15 or 20 years and everything has changed because now you have a younger generation that's, say, in their late 30s or late 40s and then you have the founding generation that's in their 60s and man, you know, and we've certainly seen this in our family, you know, your, oh, your, your goals, you know, what you're trying to, your purpose, well, really probably more around your goal than your purpose. Probably uh, I'd say goal, goal and I'd add risk tolerance because I think that really. Well, right. And I think that that's, that's a big part of that, of what your goals are, because your goal may be, <laughs> well, I want to maintain. So, and I, and that's just a natural thing that happens. You know, you get in your 60s and 70s, you're going to, well, I need to maintain, I've become less risk tolerant. Whereas now the person that, you know, the second generation in the 40s, they're going, and now we're just hitting our stride. <laughs> so they're like, yeah, I got, I got another 20 years afterburners and here we yeah. go. And all of a sudden, if it's a common capital pool, it's all one business and everything, then all of a sudden you have some really either major discussions and you work it out and you figure out how to, how to do it. Or lots of times that's when things blow apart. Yeah, I Absolutely. think the article said that was it like sixty five percent sixty-five percent, yeah. From one generation to the next or siblings to cousins or something, you know, it was like right. they fail, you know, and probably that's a big part of it. Would you guys agree? I would put that totally at that. Yeah. yeah. Because most likely the businesses are okay and they'll make money, but it's just they just come apart over lack of alignment, lack of common purpose you know, why are we in this business? And if they make it to the third generation, Spencer, like makes to your generation, you know, you don't have that commonality of you all raised in the same house and you're going to have, you know, in your case, you have 13 cousins. It's like, okay, what's the commonality of purpose? Why are we pretty business together besides the fact that, oh, we just ended up with these assets. It takes leadership. You know? Yeah. And I think that article went on to say, you know, 65% fail between, you know, once you go 
founder to siblings, siblings, cousins, 65% fail. And then they said out of those, all those failures, at least 60% or more were due to this uh, interfamily conflict and family oh, yeah. dynamics. And, right. So Brooks, you mentioned those, you know, weekly steering meetings and, you know, Wes pointed out that you guys are in the same generation and age bracket. You know, I guess I'm curious, what were the kinds of directional things that you guys were having to sort out? You said, you know, things would change and suddenly, you know, maybe you were aligned, but then something changes for one family or one person. They're like, oh, we want to do X, you know, I guess I'm curious, did, were there any moments that you can think of and just kind of how you guys navigated that? I think you're probably the biggest one we had to navigate was just the, you know, when we wanted to operate, you know, wrap up operations because it had to do with what did people want to be spending their time doing? So, you know, everything's owned jointly. And if you have, you know, partners, you know, two, well, probably two different things. One is one, you know, one big thing for us was around risk. And so I'm not risk adverse. And, you know, other partners are risk adverse. So it was a balance of what risk we would take. And so we had to stay in alignment on that because I was on the acquisition side of buying land. And, and so I would probably buy way more land than other people would be comfortable with. So we, we set up a process for staying in alignment by going through all of our acquisitions. And we had to buy off on it as a team, as an ownership team. So that's how we were able to deal with, you know, one of those things where I could have gotten, you know, way out over my skis and, oh yeah, look, I bought us 500 lots. And, you know, we're like, well, yeah, we only produce 25 lots a year. So what was that about? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I got a great deal. (laughs) I got a great deal. It'll bury us, but I got a great deal. Yeah. So I guess that would be around kind of ongoing. Yeah. So what I really like about that is, you know, where the communication is good between owners, then really that does provide that balance that's going to help the company survive because we hear about companies where the founder starts it, man, you know, risk taker and the thing goes to the moon and it's fantastic and a huge success. And but what we don't hear about is the other 99 companies out of a hundred that that are littered along the side of the road that right. didn't make it. And so I think that is where being able to incorporate everybody's input if you if you know how to do it properly and you're willing to do it and willing to be humble and everyone is willing to be humble and, and take everyone else's input, they'll help your company survive and, and and thrive and get through some tough times. So how do you think, you know, I know, you know, we just went over the, you know, first gen to kids and then kids to cousins and that high failure rate. You know, what do you think it really takes in that second to third? generation you know you mentioned leadership you know is it was there anything else from this article that you pulled that would maybe help somebody navigate you know hey if we're looking to keep passing this down it kind of gets more fragmented is kind of how i'm understanding you guys in terms of purpose and connection to the original founder or per, you know purpose of the company so wes any thoughts on that well one of the things they talked about in the article and i think it's an important thing to start when you're small or just even the first generation is that whole uh, advisory board, board of directors, because that board will become more important to you as you move into that second transfer. So maybe, maybe not as much can certainly be helpful from original owner, the siblings, 
but from siblings to cousins, let's say, then I think it's monumentally important because probably most of the cousins are not that involved with the business. You know, they may have a, an interest in it in terms of a monetary interest or you know, maybe some stock or something else. But that board is what's going to keep the purpose and the goals and the core values and everything kind of in a central repository. So maybe it has a couple of three family members on it, some outside members and experts on the board as well. And then it's really the board's job to carry that from generation to generation to generation. And then people can choose to participate and not participate in the family business as it goes down down the line. I don't know. What do you think, Bruce? Yeah, it's an interesting question because I think I would take it back a step, Spence, and say, well, you know, just the founder and, you know, in talking to, you know, to our listeners, which is if you're a founder, you ask yourself, do you have the leadership capability and the emotional bandwidth and strength to be able to transition this business? And if you don't, sell it. Don't put everybody through all the brain damage. Don't do it. If you, you know, so you have, I think founders have to dig deep yeah. and say, hey, is this something I just wanted to do for me? And this kind of fulfilled my emotional and financial needs. And beyond that, I, I don't need to do anything else. Then sell it. If you have a longer term strategy, which is around family business, you know, family business trying to pass this on, which is so much more extra work, it's much easier just to, to cash it out, put it in the bank, and you can pass that on to your kids as a, as a stock account. That's way easier than trying to transition a family business. But if, if that's part of your goals is to transition a family business, then as a founder, you know, have that depth and figure out, okay, how am I going to do this to kind of get it to that second generation and set up those pieces? Because the, the second generation can't do it if the founder hasn't kind of, isn't, you know, emotionally mature enough to, to move that along. Yeah, it isn't willing, you know, can't let go. And that, that's probably one of the biggest problems that you do yeah. in new businesses is just usually it's the founder because they have the emotional energy around creating something. You know, it's their creation, it's their baby. And if they can't let go or if, you know, if you're the founder, as Brooks was saying, if you can't see yourself letting go and doing something else, then, yeah, it's best to just cash it out at some point and make that your goal. Yeah. If your strategy around that and still, you know, have good relations with your kids and all those other things, because family business is a lot of work because it takes a ton of communication. There tends to be a lot more conflict or can be a lot more conflict because you're just working out all these different things that are combined with both business and family. <laughs> Two things that are both difficult, <laughs> right? Yeah, both so put both them. of them together and then it's yeah. just kind of the one plus one oh. equals three. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. 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 In, in right. not the great way. Yeah. Not a great way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's that's interesting. You know, last week or the week prior, we kind of talked about just what does it take to sell your business? And so, you know, if you are that founder, it seems like what you were saying, like really dig in and figure out which path you want to go. And if you're trying to sell it, then you're going to go down that path of like systematizing and doing those things and knowing that that is a challenging path too in this industry, but it may be a lot more simplified than actually trying to transfer it down and, and set up those systems. 
But I guess if you are going to try to continue to do that, you know, what else, you know, did you guys dig out of the article that is really critical to be thinking about? Brooks? Well, they, they talked about, you know, alignment, getting, you know, getting everything in alignment first. They talked about, you know, using an advisory board or fiduciary board as time went on. They then, and then using that to work on your strategic planning, you know, what's your strategy as a business. So you're, you're using the input of those board members. And then they, they talked about merit-based leadership, which is, you know, whoever's in leadership position may or may not be a family member, depending on, you know, what the metrics are and if there's somebody capable or not. And that's part of the board's decision, board's job is to find the right person to lead the company, whether they're a family member or not. You know, sometimes a family member might rise to the surface and be like, oh, yeah, this is the right person for it. Or it could be like, yeah, no one's really you've got the expertise or the knowledge and or the interest. So that board has to find, they have a responsibility then to find that person, you know, to run the business. So I think that's the other, you know, strategic planning, finding the right person to run the business, key things. The more time I spend in the marketing business, the more I realize that marketing isn't just about your website, signage, social media, and print collateral. Marketing really sits across every part of your business. It starts with your brand, your signs, your website, but it continues on through the sales process. How you present yourself and your company on a sales call incorporates marketing. And just as importantly, how you deliver your service to your client is marketing. The feelings that they have in the middle and the end of the project are big factors in determining whether they will spread the word about you. At the end of the day, marketing across the entire customer lifecycle is really tough. That's why I love what BuildBook is up to. They've been working hard to bridge those gaps and solve those problems. Their new tools start on the marketing side, continue into the sales conversation, and finish with the project. Get these three elements working together and your business will be humming along. Happy clients, more profits, less stress. If you're aiming for the trifecta of the construction business, head on over to buildbook.co to try it free for yourself. That's buildbook.co. All right, let's get back to the show. So with the board, you know, you said they're supposed to find that person that can run the business and that may either be family or non-family. I I guess, are there other kind of key points that the board, like what should the board be holding the company accountable to? I guess, what are some high level points there, Wes, as you think about that board? Once again, I think, if the if the company does do strategic planning, then it's the board's job to make sure that the strategic plan is adhered to. So that you know that's that's the key thing that you know they're going. You know we need to make sure that the strategic plan is executed. And in the article, they really talk about you know four different things that that board would do. First, they need to represent the interests of the shareholders. So and that. That certainly becomes more of an issue as ownership is not necessarily represented on the board in a in a major way, right? So sometimes businesses that become separated from their shareholders and they're, they're more interested in uh, lining the nest of the people that are operating the business versus making sure that the shareholders are represented. So you know that's first and foremost that they represent the shareholders, many of whom may just sit on the board, right, with a small company. 
but then they need to understand what the competitive advantages are for the company, you know, why they're in business, what their edge is, and then they're going to work with management to set that strategy and that strategic plan. And then they're going to hold management accountable. So the board ideally should be able to hire and fire whoever is top management of the company. And it was just one person. So you could see where if you went down three generations and let's say you had a cousin running the company and it's, you know, gotten to be a fairly sizable operation. What if that cousin isn't cutting it? I mean, it's a family member or he or she is a family member. Well, the board's responsibility is to say, this person isn't cutting it and we need to put somebody else in there, either a family member or a non-family member, whoever is the most qualified. And that, that's the job of the board is to make sure that the company is properly, properly run and provide that oversight function. Is that what you're driving at, Spence? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because I think that almost adds that layer that helps make a decision like that, you know, where it's like, hey, the, the board has this interest in the company core values, the purpose, the mission. And then if you do have a family member that maybe isn't cutting it, they can kind of step in and go, hey, we need to make a change. And maybe that takes a little bit of the, you know, uh, personal nature, family nature, although I'm sure there's still some, but if that's kind of how the system is set up, I guess that helps clarify that. And then I think it just, you know, it makes me think about, gosh, you really, if you do want it to keep going to family, to family, to family, you have to put a lot of work into developing those leaders because the company in theory should be getting bigger and bigger and, you know, prospering more and more. And that may not happen. That's not guaranteed. But if it does, then somebody stepping into a very different operation than it was in the first five years or 10 years. So yeah, I guess, yes, it does answer my question. (laughs) (laughs) So I kind of want to bounce back to Brooks. You had mentioned strategic planning and I know Wes, you touched on it too, but what is strategic planning when you guys think about that? You know, I feel like that's kind of one of those words that gets thrown out there a lot. And it, it just, I think there's a a feeling that it's like, oh, well, it's, it's long-term it's vision, or there's kind of these other buzzwords that go along with it. But I guess, Brooks, how do you look at that? term oh, man, of strategic planning here well know? yeah i try to try to feed those your way <laughs> yeah, i appreciate it either uh, the really long open-ended ones it, or right. hyper specific like this should be an easy question but i'm making it seem like yeah. it's not yeah <laughs> well strategic you know they talk about it and they just talk about they say in business enterprises start with the belief that product or service be valuable and then that ident- you know identifying the customer and then identifying what your strengths are so i think it's going back to you know, whatever business you're in and saying, well, what is, what's our value to the, you know, what's our value to the customer? Who's the customer? And what's our strategy around meeting the needs of those customers and picking just one or two or maybe three things and saying, okay, that's our strategy. Let's try to execute that strategy. Maybe you're, they used an example of a restaurant business and their goal was to turn their, they, they felt they're like, they created a great experience for the, the consumer customer and they turn their tables quickly. And so that was their strategy. So they, I mean, they, that's what they executed on. So their whole strategy was around having a great restaurant experience, turning tables quickly. And that's what that fostered what they, everything they did about how their, you know, experience was set up. 
and stay with that would make a difference. It's like, oh, we're going to offer a lot of slow roasted pot roast. <laughs> People will come in and, you know, they'll order that and it'll take two days to make it, or you're going to have something that's quicker. I think that's important. So your strategy as a construction business may be that our strategy is, hey, we provide great kitchens, you know, quickly. And you just try yeah. to execute on that. Think how hard that would be just to execute and do that on a regular basis. And Brick, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head because, you know, they say strategy is strategy is defined as a goal and what is the plan to get to that goal. So you've got to have both of those parts to have a strategy. So, you know, you're talking about the, the quick bath. Well, that is definitely a strategy. You know, our path to maybe your goal is we want to penetrate, you know, 40% of the bathroom remodeling market in our town. What's our strategy? Well, maybe your strategy is, hey, we can do bathrooms in two days and that's our plan. That is how we are going to be unique and that's how we'll get to our goal. Then you're right. That is your strategy. So you're just picking a path that you think is the best way to get to that goal. And so you got to revisit it every so often to make sure that path is still working for you. Yeah. So basically just go, kind of going back to the the basics of here's the goal and how do we serve that customer and is our product still viable and, you know, is our, what we're doing actually different and then, okay, what are we going to do about that? Yeah. Right. Um, you know, you're back to your three unique things, you know, for your proposition, all that kind of the marketing piece that, that fits into that. But, you know, the, that's the board's responsibility too, is to make sure that once that plan, the strategic plan has been established, that management is actually executing it properly and, and hitting all the marks in it. That makes sense. So the other part of the article, kind of the tail end of it, talked about having a engaged family governance, which sounds really fancy, but I guess what's, what is that or what does that look like? Yeah, good question. I think this is probably one of the more important parts of the article because it really kind of gives you a roadmap forward for how you would start to put this in place if you're starting to think about these building blocks and think about your family business. And essentially it's saying, hey, you need to get together with, you know, get two or three of your family members together that are involved in the business. And they have a specific duty to meet every so often on a regular schedule to work through a lot of the things that we've talked about on, on the podcast today. What is our purpose? What's our goal? What are our core values? What's our code of conduct? And kind of get all those things down on paper and make sure that there is agreement. And so they could do that. And it, you know, everyone's busy, everybody's busy working. So they suggest taking a couple of years to do that, meeting every month or so to work on it, but then assigning off each one of these little chunks to one person in the family to lead that particular meeting and talk through that particular aspect. So one meeting might be on goals. What are we trying to accomplish? What's the best way to do that? And working through that discussion. Another one might be, well, what's our purpose? Why are we in business together? You know, do we want to build a bank of assets for the, to help sustain the family? Are we in business because we want to, you know, benefit the environment? You know, there could be lots of different reasons, but you need to be in alignment on that. So anyway, but that core group can kind of walk its way through that and make sure everyone is together on that. And that can really become foundational too when working with your board later when you put one together and going, hey, look at all this stuff. We've already worked out these things. This is what we're about. This is where we're going. This is how we're going to accomplish it. And then, you know, after that, it's just kind of executing on that 
on that plan when she put it together and revisiting it, which I think is the other key point. And Brooks probably agree with this. That you gotta you gotta look at your plan once it's done and otherwise it's just a paperweight. That is that for is sure. True. Yeah. <laughs> and a paperweight, for those of you who don't know, is something that's heavy that holds down paper on your desk, you know, if you're totally digital at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully we're what is this there. paperweight you speak of? Yeah. <laughs> so Brooks, I guess in thinking about this family governance piece, or just maybe the the whole article and some of the things we've talked about, why do you think that the Powell family business has been able to sustain over, you know, I don't know however many generations it is to this point? It's a good question. And I think that's a question every company has to look at. And I would say you know, our company, like other companies, is always, you know, at risk of not making that, you know, transition. And again, goes back to leadership and willingness, because as you go back to the change in, you know, people's risk profiles, you know, without that transfer of ownership and transfer of equity and the transfer of risk, you know, it's pretty hard to move the company forward. Because, for someone to lead, they have to have control. And we talked about having a board and that board could change leadership if they didn't feel like someone was doing the right thing. But until that system kind of gets set up, it's very difficult, I think, for families to move forward. For in our family businesses, you know, my brother and I chose not to continue our family construction business. You know, it really was a construction business that we owned and we shut it down and had a bank of assets, which we now have our kids participating in, but that's different than an ongoing everyday operational business. So we approached it a little bit differently, you know, different than, you know, some of the other things we're doing within the family business. So I would say it's, uh, you know, it's TBD, right. how that'll work. Absolutely. Each generation. I, I think on one of our prior podcasts, Spence, we spent a lot of time talking about, well, it really came down to how do you transition from generation to generation? And if you're going to keep the company within the family, then each generation has to figure out a way to take enough of their chips off the table, so to speak, that, that they are comfortable and then their risk profile is respected because as you get older and as your risk profile goes down, less, you know, more risk at first, you got to have enough money in the bank and resources and assets. You feel like, Oh, I'm not going to run out of money you know, before I shuffle off this mortal coil. And that's super important because, yeah. and you see that, you know, everyone you go, oh, as I get older, yeah, am I going to run out of money? Do I have enough money? And it's a big thing when you talk to seniors about that. They're going, man, I'm really concerned. Do I have enough money? And so each generation has to have enough money taken off of the table and out of the business that's not at risk within the business that they're fine. And so if you don't have a mechanism for doing that, then what will happen is, is that the older generation's risk profile will start to squeeze down and impact the ability of the, the business to operate. Absolutely. And that older generation's risk profile, you know, is not such that allows for growth. And they also, you know, have a desire for more earnings versus, you know, tapering. You know, so there's this combination of, you know, if you're the founder and you, oh, I want to have less risk, but I want to continue to earn more and more and more. I enjoyed that part of the business. Probably not going to not going to work, you know. Yeah, yeah. Better to wrap it up. Kind of interesting. I'm just read an article about Peloton. You know, because Peloton's been very popular with the, the shutdown and everything. They've been doing well, 
But they had an in- interesting interview with the COO of Peloton. And the question was, well, gee, this last quarter, you showed a profit for the first time ever. Is that a problem? And I'm thinking, <laughs> well, what a strange question, right? But then you think about it and the answer was, well, the reason that question was asked is because they're a growing company. Right. And so they have to get to a particular size and magnitude in order to be successful and maintain their market position. So if they're not pushing hard enough and they're making money and they're not reinvesting everything into growth, then they're starting to shift into a different type of company. And I think that's a little bit what we're talking about, a much smaller scale for all of our companies, obviously, right. but it's that whole idea of, yeah, are we taking cash out or are we reinvesting cash and, and driving the business forward? And that really, a lot of that just depends on the risk profile and where you are in your life's journey. That's a big one. And Brooks, I appreciate the honesty of just the like TBD. It feels like though, every family business at every generation, there's probably a high degree of risk backed by the stats from this article, you know, where they're just so many different dynamics at play from, I mean, the one that that you just mentioned, the risk tolerance, it feels like is just one of those huge ones that... I think the risk tolerance is huge and the ability for people to, like Wes said, take their chips off the table. Yeah. And, you know, because you see typically if, if someone's an entrepreneur, the way they do that is they say, well, I'll sell my business, I'll close it down, you know, and that way I can, you know, I can capture what I've, what I've earned. And I know I can live off of that. But if, if as a founder or you, know, you can't come to terms with that or you're afraid you'll never make enough money, you'll never be able to make that transition. So I think that's where, if, you know, if our listeners are founders of their businesses, you know, really, you know, dig deep and think about that. Think about, OK, well, what type of person am I? Would I be able to do this? You just don't want to stumble into trying to transition your business to your kids or relatives because it's just too painful. You know, it's just not worth it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's unless just, you, unless you just really, really want to, right. But know what you're getting into. Is, no, and and like, want yeah. to do it and want to complete it until the yeah. point where you find out, Oh, it, it just isn't going to work because I don't have enough people, you know, kids interested in it or nephews and nieces interested in it, or the business isn't viable for other reasons, you know, but but go into it knowing that, you know, this is probably going to be one of the harder things you'll ever do. Yeah. You have to be honest about the amount of effort involved with it and don't go into it with a kind of a, oh, this sounds great. You know, Hey, yeah. it'll be great. The kids or the cousins, you know, they'll, they'll have a business and, you know, well, it's, it's easy. Right. And it's, it's not a good exit. Yeah, it's a great exit strategy for me. This really works out. You know, it's probably the hardest exit strategy there is. Right. Based on that, if it works, it can yeah. be great. Fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely. It, works, it can be great, but it is a lot of work. So yeah. take that into consideration. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And it made me think, uh, I'm reading this book called The Psychology of Money right now. And yeah. um, oh, are you reading it to us? Or? Well, I recommended it to you. So. Oh, well, there you go. I <laughs> I guess I finally got around to it. Yeah, <laughs> a long great. list. So, well, thanks, Wes, for the recommendation. Sure, I'm no finally problem. reading your your book. It's called The Psychology of Money. We'll link to it in the show notes. But there was a section in there that reminded me. It's I think it's connected to the risk profiles and just as you move through the spectrum of life. But this kind of talked about. I think it was the part where it talks about you know the accumulation of money and then the preserving or keeping of money. And you kind of have to 
take on risk to accumulate and push forward, but then you have to have a certain level of like paranoia basically to protect and, and keep it. And I think probably later in life that, that general, like where you, where you balance, you just sit more on the paranoia side as a default, you know, probably so. 110% <laughs> on the paranoia side, you know, yeah, all the way, <laughs> all the way. Cause you have no recovery time, you know, if you're right. 80. And that's exactly right. Brooks hit the nail on the head there. It's no recovery time. And when you're 25 or 30, Got less recovery time, so what's the big deal? You know, you can you can take a few swings at the fences and and whip a few balls, and that's okay. Yeah, but not at seventy five. Fair enough. Yeah, and uh, so maybe maybe we'll have to dive into the psychology of money a little bit more. <laughs> we'll have Brooks read it. It's a really good book. It's a, it's a, yeah. yeah, but I think it does help you understand why, you know, why some of that, you know, risk tolerance changes and then why it leads to some of these challenges in transferring because, you know, that founder really just needs to make the commitment to it and just do it and then phase out. And I know you guys have talked about like moving through the buyout process quickly and some of those things and it all kind of, this helps kind of clarify the why behind it and why it's so challenging. And so I think going into it, if you know these things and you can take those right steps, you can put in the the pieces and then, you know, just say, Hey, this was my baby. I created it, but now I'm, I'm getting out and I'll go do something else. And maybe you put that energy somewhere else, but, and if you can't do that, then, then don't even bother. So I guess, uh, you know, those are my final thoughts and takeaways, but Wes, any final thoughts and takeaways from kind of these five foundational pieces? No, not really. I think we've, uh, we beat the, the dead horse pretty well, but I would put in another plug. Maybe Brooks is already going to do this for the family business consulting group. Just seems like they have a lot of good content. So I'd probably hit their website and read their blog and stuff like that. You probably get a lot of great, great info that would be helpful to you. Cool. Yeah, How about you, Brooks? Right on. Yeah. We'll link, link them up in the show notes as well. And we'll put this article there if you guys want the kind of the context behind the discussion today. But other than that, I think we'll wrap. So thanks, Wes. Thanks, Brooks. And thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next week here on Building a Family Business on Builder Funnel Radio. Mm-hmm.